You're listening to Gender, A Wider Lens. I'm Stella O'Malley, a psychotherapist in Ireland. And I'm Sasha Ayad, an adolescent therapist in the United States. Since 2016, my practice has been exclusively dedicated to gender-questioning teens and families impacted by gender dysphoria. I also work with gender-questioning teenagers, and I facilitate at support meetings for families and individuals who have been impacted by gender issues. We're curious about the concept of gender and how it's unfolding in the wider culture. Join us as we look at gender through a wider lens. Hi, Sasha. Hi, Stella. How's it going today? Good. (laughs) Non-binary. Yeah, we are going to be talking about non-binary identities today. And uh, I don't know about you, but parents always ask me about this because they see their kids experimenting with different pronouns and names. And sometimes they'll see that a young person announces on their social media account that I'm non-binary. And parents are like, well, what, what is that exactly? So I think this is really relevant theme in the culture right now. And I don't think we could talk about trans identities without talking about non-binary. It almost feels like the uh, the symbolic word for this generation. It's the kind of it's a key kind of like when you're in this generation, you talk about non-binary in a very easy way, like my mm-hmm. kids would. And it never, never before in our consciousness. And it really makes everybody over a certain age just feel old. <laughs> it's just, it really does feel zeitgeisty. Yes, definitely. Um, So I guess we can start by saying that we're going to have a lot of analysis of what we think about this as therapists and as people who are kind of looking from that bird's eye view. But maybe we can start with what do non-binary people say about themselves? What is this supposedly? What does it mean? So my understanding is that non-binary refers to gender identities for people who don't feel they perfectly fit within the box of being either a man or a woman. So they don't necessarily have any kind of, you know, uh, medical indications. Sometimes there isn't even gender dysphoria. I think sometimes it's just to indicate that I don't really like the label man. I don't really like the label woman. So I'm neither. What about, what about you? Does that resonate? That's exactly how I see it. I see it as a rejection. It's like, you know, it's non-binary, but it makes me think of the French word, no. It's like no mm. to the binary. <laughs> There's a kind of a, a complete like hands up, stop, no, I reject the binary. I reject the man-woman context and I, I'm out. And mm. remember in the 60s, you know, the kids were, you know, advised to tune in, turn on and drop out. Mm. these kids are dropping out of the binary. They're not dropping out of school. They're not dropping out of college. They're dropping out of the binary. And, <sighs> you know, God bless them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I, I'm always going to be for any rebel who says no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And that's what they are doing. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder myself, I've often wondered, where would I be? You know, where would I be if I was 15 and stuff like that? And I've always presumed I'd go for trans. But beyond that, I think non-binary would have been so attractive as in a big fat no to the, all the generations before, to all yeah. science, to all biology, to everything. I'm saying no, no. Yeah. And me and my <laughs> culture are saying no. And that's uh, to me, this is what it is. It's a, it's a counter-cultural, big fat no. Yeah. Uh, we're out. It's dropping out, you know? There's an element of protest. You're kind of rejecting the system. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, what's what's fascinating is is it it covers such a broad range of experiences, as do all these things relating to gender. I mean, I say that a lot in many episodes, that you take one non-binary person and I'll show you 12 other non-binary people that are nothing like that person. It's really interesting. You know the phrase... If you've seen one binary person, you've seen one non-binary person. (laughs) You know, there is there isn't there isn't norms very much within this. It's Mm -hmm. it's literally you do it your own way. It's 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 so interesting though that um, it's to me it's become much more common. It's much more common. Like it was there, it was referenced a few years ago, but in very short order, it's become Mm -hmm. almost the more most common one. 
Mm-hmm. So let's maybe talk about that because, you know, in preparation, we pulled up some of those um, searches in Google Trends, right, to try and track the use of the term non-binary when it comes to people's internet use. And we found something, I mean, interesting, not shocking for anyone following this story, but the term non-binary was really not in use at all until maybe around 2014. So if you were to look at the graph of this in Google Trends, you see like a flat line on zero all the way up until June 2014. You start to see it um, oscillating up and down. And then around 2019, it just kind of skyrockets. So I think this is really interesting and very indicative of what we're seeing on the ground, which is that, you know, around 2015, 16, these identities really started to come into the consciousness, the main consciousness, especially amongst youth culture. And you see similar trends for other types of identities that indicate things like non-binary. So for, for example, you know, gender queer or gender binary or um, gender fluid, all of those search terms are classified by Google as something called breakout terms. And when you say, when you see something called a breakout term, instead of a percentage of increase, it means that that search term grew by more than 5,000%. And I find this really interesting because we know that in the UK, the gender clinics there saw a 4,400% increase in kids requesting gender services. So it seems to track... I mean, understandably, with the search term, including, you know, it tracks between the search terms and the requests for actual assistance, mental health support or medical support around gender identities. Yeah, I wonder that when I look at this and I I really advise people to go and look at it because it's such a shocking graph between the genderqueer and the non-binary, how it shoots in 2019 is extraordinary. And um, I, I kind of wonder... I know it was in the world by then, but why did everybody land on non-binary other than this is a protest vote? This is mm. a rejection. It, uh, I wonder, is there other reasons for for this extraordinary opting out of the binary? Because that's what it is. They're basically saying there's you do man, woman all you want. I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not part of this. Well, I mean, I think. Just like when we've talked about the symptom pool in our ROGD episode, once a concept enters into the culture and young people start sharing ideas with one another about that concept and discussing it and, you know, listing its characteristics out, it starts to click, you know, like, like I listen to several non-binary young people giving TED Talks or discussing their identities on, on YouTube you know, as we got ready for this episode. And when you hear them talk about it, it really feels relatable. You know, sometimes I don't feel like I really fit in with other girls. Sometimes I prefer these interests versus those interests. And if you understand those nuances as proof of being non-binary, then I get why it fits. I think these are probably terms that we are applying to things now that we didn't quite think about in a different way before. Yeah, it reminds me, and I know we've we've discussed it between ourselves, that, you know, when the philosopher Ian Hacking was talking about things like, um, you know, symptom pools and, you know, things like that, and he talked about the concept of making up people, mm. and he said that there would be new cohorts arise when 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 these these phenomena happen and then within the so making up people might be trans kids or things like that but then the looping effect is like variations on these people always seem to um, you know emerge mm. and the variation of uh, that seems to have emerged is the non-binary so it's the looping effect it's like it doesn't stay static when these new cohorts arrive it doesn't stay static and instead a kind of a new a new variation and this is the ingenious new variation that's that seems that's my reading of what's going on Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. and ian hacking was studying kind of social contagions like can you say a little bit more about his research because i think it really does apply with these kind of brand new labels that pop up yeah um he's a brilliant thinker and he kind of kind of really kind of 
dove deep into what happens when there's social contagion and he talked about the symptom pool and he talked about how culture you know a phenomena ha- phenomenon happens within a culture mm-hmm. and then it, it kind of distorts and it, it it kind of varies within that culture and it spreads out and gets wilder and and more and more kind of legs to the mm-hmm. very same kind of entity and this is exactly exactly what's happened with the trans phenomenon so when you read in Ian Hacking you just go oh I know I know all of this yeah. I know it all Ian yeah so I was so excited about Ian when I first uh, started reading about him I thought I want to meet him and I went to the bother of looking up he's, he's something like 82 or something I'm <laughs> still in danger of me knocking on his door one day to say <laughs> Ian, I love his mind. I love the way he talks. I love I love what he's got to say, you know. Well, if if you knock on his door, you'll have to bring your recording equipment because I'd love to hear that conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's 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 fascinating thought. And this was way back, you know, 80s, 90s when mm. people were discussing these issues and then you apply the the all the thought to today's phenomenon and you see it fits so well. Yeah, yeah. That's how I understand it. For sure. Well, I mean, I think it's important to kind of explore this issue because I think non-binary identities often serve as a stepping stone onto transgender identity and also off of transgender identity, right? So if parents are seeing this or if a young person themselves identifies as non-binary and is trying to kind of figure out what does this mean for me? Where is this going? Where is this coming from? I, I think it's really valuable to note that for a lot of young people, it seems like a temporary intermediary between one place and another. And I'm assuming that there are other individuals who identify as non-binary and that's kind of where they land and stay there for a while. But in my work, in, in consulting with parents and talking with young people, many, many, many kids start by saying, I think I'm non-binary, and then ultimately end up saying, I think I'm trans. And sometimes when people are desisting or detransitioning, they go to a non-binary identity and then go down to, not down, (laughs) but they they move on to their kind of natal sex identity. So it's really interesting the the way it flows. That's exactly my experience too. I know that's on enough too, but still we have seen plenty of clients and both mm-hmm. a stepping stone in and a stepping stone out is a key kind of point. And the stepping stone in, it's generally viewed with slight roll eyes from the parents of kind of the kid has just been a bit quirky. Oh, yeah, non-binary. And the, 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 the parents don't take it madly serious at that point. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the child goes into a trans identification, maybe for many years. And then just hypothetically, this child comes out and step in, steps out with non-binary. By then, the parent can often feel very jaded and kind of, you know, very kind of negative towards non-binary and you know, not support what I would see as a, a good move because there's fluidity, mm-hmm. move mm-hmm. as kind of there's the, the flexibility has arrived and I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. And the parents are like, eh, it's just mm-hmm. another gender identity. I can't deal with it. I can't support it. I've, I'm, mm-hmm. I've still had it. And I, I think something gets missed. I can see why it happens, but I think a lot gets missed at that point. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, I think a lot of people roll their eyes at individuals calling themselves non-binary. And, you know, look, I get that too, because there is something that can feel you know, hard to understand, a little bit maybe wishy-washy, quote-unquote. But I think there's something, again, if we, we hold it lightly and symbolically, really flexible about saying, I don't really fully relate to either of these categories. You know, I think there's something valuable there. And if we can help a young person to hold that identity with a sense of curiosity, I think it's okay. And, um, you know, I, I think what really troubles me, though, is that there seem to be a certain set of medical interventions that are now going along with the non-binary identity. So rather than it being this kind of freeing identity that like you get to, uh, to dress however you like, you get to express yourself in any way. There's now, I think, a, like a, almost a, a pattern being developed, which is 
A lot of non-binary females think that they should have top surgery, which is a mastectomy, which is breast removal. And then they might believe that that physically helps them embody this neither or space. And that's troubling to me. And I've heard even gender clinicians advocate for medical intervention for, quote, non-binary. Yes. And I think there's a lot of a lack of thought with why would we medicalize the non-binary identity. I don't see any reason to medicalize the non-binary identity other than for cosmetic reasons, and they mightn't work out, if you follow me. And I, I, I think this is where it makes me feel very, very distressed that like there isn't enough thought going on here. Because if you say this person is non-binary and they want to take testosterone, it's like, okay, well, that's that's a decision that is nothing to do with distress and everything to do with what they want to 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 be it's not quite the same as gender dysphoria well it's not the same as gender dysphoria it's something different and i suppose it's just been nonchalantly categorized within the Mm -hmm. trans identity as well if they want it there you go take it and i think i i think it's deeply inappropriate and i think we've really kind of not given any respect to the people who are non-binary insofar as we've allowed it to be presumed to be a medicalized decision, when I don't think there's any really thoughtful analysis that could land that this is why it should be medicalized. I, I don't see, I don't, I, I don't buy it, you know what I mean? Well, given Ian Hacking's philosophy of making up like new categories of people, I'm not in agreement with this, but I understand what's happening is that there is a new category of person being invented, which is the non-binary person. And the non-binary person has implications for what, you know, sex we're supposed to read them as. So if sex is, you know, if sex is not binary, then maybe there is some hybrid version of, you know, secondary sex characteristics. So like somebody with breasts and a beard, or somebody with a feminine face and no breasts. Like, I mean, this is this is Ian Hacking's theory come to life. Truly. This is literally making up a, a, a biological gender presentation to go along with a new emotionally, psychologically, culturally mediated identity, which is wow. mind-blowing when you think about it that way. It really is. It really is. And, you know, it's interesting. The reason why I'm sitting in front of you is because of non-binary, because I was, I was, I had had my own experience as a kid. And then when I was, um, as I noticed trans kind of was more and more and more in the news. And then one day I was in a cafe in Burr and I was reading an article about a person called, um, Corey Doty, who's non-binary, and Corey Doty gave birth to a child who they who they called Cyril Doty, and Corey went to the Canadian courts for the right for this child to be raised and recognised on their birth cert as you, and you stands for either unassigned or unknown, and so this perfectly healthy baby who, um, you know, wasn't, um, you know, didn't have a DSD, didn't have intersex condition. There was no issue around this child's um, biological sex, but the parents' ideology and um, reveling in non-binariness insisted on on bringing up, as they call it, a baby. And when I read that, I, I just, everything inside me kind of, kind of, you know, rose up as you can't inflict your ideologies and your beliefs on a little baby. I just had this image of a nine-month-old baby because the baby was nine months when I was reading it because it took some time for them to win. And, you know, you know, Corey Doty won. And so the child is you on their birth cert. And um, I have a very good friend um, who's very involved in birth certs. And, you know, there, there was some terrible lies were written on birth certs in Ireland. Children were adopted and they weren't given the truth of, who their actual birth was. And mm. they were told, like, the birth cert, there was lines on it. So I feel very strongly that the birth cert belongs to the baby. It doesn't belong mm. to the mother or the father. And mm. therefore, it's not up to us to dictate what goes on the birth cert. This is a yeah. kind of a governmental certificate of yeah. your birth. Yeah. And so that's why, by the way, that was a very long intro. Into, I wrote an article talking about 
what's going on in the trans world? Because things like you, babies are being kind of assigned you. And from that, I was offered to do the film. From that, I ended up meeting you. And that's why I'm sitting here. Wow. That's incredible, actually, because, I mean, when, when I think about, you know, stories where individuals were kind of lied to by their parents for a long time and then later discovered the truth about like who their real father yes. is or where they were born. That's a shocking, uh, traumatizing type of revelation. So I think it's very interesting that this non-binary activism in this specific instance actually was really um, like the rights of the parent to kind of lie about the child's sex. That that's absolutely shocking. And I, I didn't really know. I didn't it's know about this story. It's it an extraordinary story. Yeah. So that child is you. And, you know, I hope the child, you know, thrives and I hope the family thrives and I hope everything goes well, but that the parent has the right to put you on that birth cert because of the parent's views struck me, literally propelled me out of the cafe and over to my house to write an article. Oh it was my just, God. what is going on? This, this, yeah. this, this, this. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that's how I landed into okay. it. Because I often wrote articles about mental health and this was a little bit left field, but it just was like, hang on, I have to raise something here. Mm-hmm. And that that's where, that's where it was. It's an extraordinary story when you step back from it, especially when you know about birth certs and the trauma of children being told this was your mother and it wasn't their mother. Mm-hmm. And there is, I know there's a, there's a, a court case certainly impending in the UK for a person who was born female at uh, uh, when they were a child, they were born female and became, you know, a trans man and is now, you know, fighting for the right for the, the, the child to have two fathers, let's say, as opposed to a father and mother or two mothers. Do you understand me? Mm-hmm. And that's on the birth are like two mothers, let's say, or two fathers. And again, I would say that's messing. Like you said, it's messing with the yeah. truth. It's, yeah, it's, and I suppose it's truly believing this idea that we're assigned at birth. I was just going to say that's where that comes from. I think people who advocate for these types of birth certificate changes would say, "Well, a sign, sex assigned at birth, the whole thing is an ideology." And actually, all of us quote cis normies <laughs> are living in some sort of a warped ideology, and and so I think it's almost like a. I wish this was framed appropriately as like the right to believe in a religion or something, because if you if you frame gender identity theories as a belief system, a religion, then you can advocate to say, look, this is my belief. I don't believe that children have a biological sex. And so I would like to raise my child according to our beliefs. Now, do I as a therapist think that is very well adaptive? No, but I think it's very interesting that the the framing is likely based on the, the idea that actually all of us with our sex assigned at birth, we're all living in some sort of a matrix and gender identity wow. people are not. But but to go back to, to non-binary, I think this is interesting context, but the average 14-year-old female who calls herself non-binary, she doesn't, she's not aware of all this no. certificate history and legal stuff. Yeah. What do you think is going on with these kids? Because I, I think a lot of very conforming, girly type girls, and I don't use that term in a derogatory manner. I mean, just girls who have always had typical uh, feminine interests are calling themselves non-binary yet and really throwing their parents for a loop. And I think it kind of means I'm not like the other girls, even though on the surface you may think I am, I I feel different from them in some way. And I don't feel like I fit in with them. And I don't want to be treated like just some old boring cis girl. And is it also saying, and I'm flagging gender is causing me distress I don't like the fact that boys and girls and that we're not just like the way we used to be when we were children and there was everybody together is 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 the is the child who declares non-binary are they kind of is that what they're communicating when they communicate that are they saying I don't like Mm. my developing sex (laughs) 
really. I, no, I don't yeah. like it. I don't want it. And I, I don't want theirs either. I don't want anybody's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, you know, I think um, a lot of kids will say around, you know, the end of elementary school or, or whenever they started to split kids up in PE or when they oh, yeah. started to split us up by sex, I didn't like it. And that's how I knew there was something about gender that didn't feel right for me. And again, if we could just kind of hold that lightly, I say, yes, you're right. I get it. There is something really difficult about that recognition that there's a fundamental difference between males and females, even if it's just purely a body parts difference. And that can be distressing. And I think a lot of kids are like, no, I don't want that. It's almost like sticking your fingers yeah. in your ears, closing no, your no, eyes. No, 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 I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah. Do you find, because I find in my clinical work, it's more um, girls are attracted to non-binary than boys. And I I often wonder like as well, that the, the, there's a reason for that. And for me, the reason that I kind of interpret is that, you know, when the boys and the girls start developing, the boys become bigger faster, stronger, um, more, um, their voices are stronger, if you follow me. And I remember that my lack, my, it was like, I was like, you know, Samson when he got his hair cut. As mm. I went into puberty, all my great skills at punching and, and football and swimming and running were reducing as the boys were getting stronger and stronger with their testosterone. It was like a, an awful, tragic race. <laughs> I was just getting slower, if you follow me. Of course mm. I was, because I was getting softer mm-hmm. with estrogen as they were getting more powerful with testosterone. And I just wonder, is that it? That like when, when estrogen kicks in and the boys get the testosterone, the unfairness of the power of the testosterone makes the girls go, I'm out. I don't want mm. them. Maybe that's yeah. I, I think that's very possible. And again, because non-binary seems to encompass so many different kinds of kids, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's true for some of the girls who, like you, yeah. really reveled in their power. And I mean, you've <laughs> talked a lot about how your experience with gender had a lot to do with power and I strength. So. And, I'm not yeah. sure, but that's my yeah. that's my 40 year hindsight analysis. <laughs> yeah. Which is a good analysis because I'm sure you have some more wisdom now than you did when you were a kid. <laughs> but I also see, I mean, I also see girls who were never uh, playing soccer or trying to be powerful with the boys or competing in that way in PE. I mean, there are lots of girls who are kind of artistic, creative, bookworms, not really that competitive. And when they identify as non-binary, like it almost seems like a fashion choice. Like there's these interesting haircuts and there's not shaving your arms under your arms. And it's like being kind of unique, but in lots of ways, you're still quite typically feminine. So I don't know if you see that, but I see a lot of feminine girls. I mean, these are sometimes girls who are at least in the kind of stereotypical ways of what we think feminine is. Very soft spoken. Yeah. Very, um, very much, very feminine, very much struggles sometimes to assert themselves. And I, I have talked a little bit in the, in the past, I think online about how I think some of these girls have never asked for anything from others and they're very shy and they're very afraid to stand up for what they want. And sometimes they're almost they have a tendency to almost be pushovers in relationships and stuff. And I think asking to be called they, them represents like one of the first times where they try to assert their voice. And I think like in, in those cases, it's tricky, but I think those have to be handled very carefully because in the context of the rest of her life, if she's very shy, very timid and never asks for anything and she asks for something, you know, you can't just shut it down and make fun of it or laugh at it. I think that's really counterproductive. Yeah, refuse it at your peril because it could be a key point in the development of a strength in, in the kid. And yet I can see why it worries parents. So it's it's a horrible position to be put in. But I, I do think that these children with their with the, the, the non-binary identification, I think they're often kind of... Um, a, a, a little bit lost and a little bit um, 
people-pleasy tendencies. Yes. And, you know, I, I know I, Angus Fox said, you know, people are, a lot of young people are bisexual now to be polite because they want to mm. include everybody. And I feel that the non-binary identification feels quite people-pleasy as in, Oh no, I'm I'm not rejecting anything. I'm I'm all things. I'm 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 mm. I'm, every, I'm neither this nor that because I, I don't even want to categorize myself on any level. I just have to be everything to all people. Oh my God, you're so right. Yeah. And another thing that happens when you when you take on a non-binary identity is you kind of dodge the judgment yeah. of trying to be either. So yeah. if if you're worried about not fitting in properly as a girl and you're afraid of that judgment, but you also don't feel confident enough to call yourself a trans guy. Exactly. You can just say, well, I'm neither, so nobody can judge me in a way. I can, and I, I, you can't get me on my lack of masculinity. You can't yes. get me on anything because I'm non-binary. So, it's, mm-hmm. it's, so it feels like a really timid move, if you follow me. A, a, yeah. really, a really timid move that almost there's a lot more power and certainty and confidence in declaring to be a, a guy yeah. versus non-binary. It's like this squeaky little, I'm non-binary. <laughs> Yeah. There's, a, there's a sweetness to it and a gentleness to it you know it's so true and I can't help but think that it depends on the person so I'm thinking about there's a couple of like male non-binary celebrity type activists oh, like there's this okay. one guy called a something or other do you know this guy uh, I think he's I like an Indian there, American some man. Up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you tell me oh, yours, and I'll oh, tell yeah. you. Well, Elok is this guy who, like, I think he think. Well, I think they think of themselves. I, it's so hard to call this person a they because to me they're just they're so male like in the way they comport themselves. But he's some sort of like non-binary activist who seems to think that they are also a fashion icon, but I find that the things that this person wears are so off-putting and ridiculous. But anyway, I mean, he wears like dresses and like bright purple lipstick, but has like a ton of body hair and a man's haircut and, you know, does all these little activist videos. But somebody like that who calls themselves non-binary, I don't think is timid at all. I think that is a person who loves attention and enjoys being the center of attention and likes telling people what to say and what to do. And, I mean, I don't know this person. Perhaps they are just the most humble, wonderful, like modest person on the planet. But (laughs) based on what I've seen, I don't think that's the case. So again, it's like so many different people who call themselves non-binary may have very different personality structures. It's hard to make a blanket assumption about what this means. Yeah, you've you've made a liar out of me and you're right. There's a whole cohort, there's a whole celebrity (laughs) pop star. There's a well-known one called Sam Smith in the UK. And yeah. Sam Smith declared themselves um, non-binary. And, you know, it, you you do feel that they don't look non-binary and I shouldn't go by looks. But God, on one level, this whole movement is very centered around looks. You, you, you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, Sam Smith was, was born biologically male and is now they, them. And it's interesting, has one of a few Brit awards wasn't a very successful pop star, but certainly became very famous when they came out as non-binary. I certainly didn't know mm. until they became well, out as non-binary. I'm looking, I'm more. looking at a picture of Sam Smith posing yeah. with this A-lock person. So oh, they're really? friends. Yes. I'll send it. I'll send it to you and we can throw it up in the show notes. Um, anyway, but, go ahead. But, yeah. So it's quite interesting because they won some Brit awards for being a male pop star because the, the, the categories are male and female, and there is no category for uh, for you know the out of binary. So yeah. therefore, poor old Sam Smith isn't eligible for a Brit award this year. That actually is so sad because Sam Smith is a very talented singer. I mean, I really? think Sam Smith is incredible. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, really? Well, his voice is unbelievable. Then. Anyway. Th- their voice is unbelievable. Um, but, you know, can I just rest a little bit? Or, or do sure. you, well, where I wanted to go is the they, because mm. I think it's not something that could be passed by without reflecting, because it is making you plural. 
when you go to they, them, if you follow me. It's not, you know, had non-binary chosen a different pronoun, which was, I don't know, some sort of mix of he and she or something, um, or something, anything, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought so much about it. But the fact that it went for the plural, it just, it just, it, uh, th there is something psychological going on. You're making more of yourself. Wow. You're, you're you're playing with grammar because I always, immediately when I heard about they, them, I went, well, am I saying they are or they is? Because I should really technically say they mm. is. But when I say they is, people think mm. I'm slagging them. And I, I honestly think, well, mm. no, how do I denote that this is a, a singular, not a plural? And I think when you think of the plural, you're going for the plural. And then there's, there's they've kind of got into a lot of identities, a lot of non-binary. You know, we you know, we're talking about non-binary, but there's a lot of different variations of non-binary. And often it's about the the, the they them the plural and I'm like well what is that what is what is the kind of source of that I did look up there's this gender census 20, 2021 gender census 43,000 entries apparently so it's quite big this gender census and um, the most popular um, pronoun preferences are they them is by far the most and then it's kind of he he him she, her, and then it goes to um, uh, no pronoun. That's the fourth most popular. So, as in, hmm. you don't, you will not use a pronoun on me. You have to. So you, you just call the person. Like it would be like me saying, "Hello, Stella. How is Stella doing today? Yeah. Have you heard from Stella? What is Stella up to? Exactly. Like that kind of thing." Yeah, okay. and then the four. The, that's that's the fourth. So there's. They, them, the next most popular is she, her, and then he, him, then mix it up, then avoid pronouns. It's amazing, isn't it? It's like a kind of self-report census, I assume. Just yes, of course. References. <laughs> and I should know better than to. to no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. it's interesting because this is what people are saying. I mean, whether they're good at enforcing that in real life is a totally different story. But yeah. I mean, the fact that individuals are saying, I prefer no pronouns yeah that would be a challenging uh, that would be challenging and I think like the thing about these identities to me is that yeah. they require so much validation that they only function amongst other peers or colleagues or friends who are bought in but you, you know? can find your tribe you can find your you know because when mm -hmm. somebody says what's your pronouns you found your your tribe so they yeah your calling card yeah. And and it's really, to me, it really speaks to this kind of culturally mediated version of, of identity, because if just hypothetically, if we had no Internet and you caught someone in kind of like, you know, rural Appalachia or something, my guess is that nobody out there is just inventing the concept of non-binary identity on their own. This is you, you learn about this, you read about it, the more you read about it, the more it fits. So it requires, whether you want to call it education or indoctrination, there's an argument to me to be made there, right? But these identities, as they crop up, really do not, I don't think they spontaneously evolve. Yeah, I think they are created by a culture that is speaking about them, discussing them, sharing the idea of them. Yeah, I, I do know, I, I live in rural Ireland and I'm very surprised that non-binary is the identity that's taken off in my small town, which I, I certainly didn't expect. And uh, my, my own my own daughter, like she's 13, so she's right in the middle of non-binary world, but she has mm. managed to obtain a special exemption because she, <laughs> she, she has explained to everybody that she's dyslexia. And in fairness, she does have dyslexia, although she's not allowed to use it. And she has used it and she says she, she's got dyslexia and so she can't cope with they, them because it's too <laughs> difficult for her to compute. And so she has an exemption and so she's allowed to use she, her, or he, him. And I, I'm very proud. <laughs> you got to work with what you've got to work with in life, I think. You know? I, I, love, I love that story. I find it to be so lighthearted. Like she obviously <laughs> has a kind of sense of humor, but I mean, how... <laughs> 
How does a parent, like, I'll just kind of ask you, yeah. your daughter's surrounded by people claiming they, them, right? Mm-hmm. Claiming non-binary. And my guess is she's probably at some level been curious about it, though. I know you talk to her a lot about, you know, identity and what that means. Can you give anybody tips on like, if their kid is surrounded by non-binary identities and they don't want their kid to fall down a rabbit hole that may not be helpful, how how do you safeguard from that? Because it's not like you've cut her off from those friends. She still has all those friends. So how does she kind of protect her mind from going down a road that like that? Yeah, no, I wouldn't dream of cutting her off from them because, you know, these kids are, are forming their identities in their own way and good good for them. I, I, I think, I don't know that I, I've, you know, she's very young, so, you know, anything could happen and I, I've no idea how things will unfold. But I do think so far the way we've managed it, there's been a lot of care and consideration because I do speak a lot about it. So I was very aware that, you know, this could, I don't want to inflict my ideology. I don't want to inflict my beliefs on my kids. So I was very sparing in the way it was spoke about. For example, I didn't speak about gender in front of the kids very much at all until Mm. they started saying that other kids were non-binary. And then Mm. I allowed myself, I gave myself freedom to speak about it myself. My husband wouldn't have before that. But Mm. yeah, the the two big things I use is um, kindness and humor. And I, I center I center both of them, that there has to be kindness to anybody who's got an identity and there has to be humor because it is very funny to be saying they is and they that and they this and you know what I mean? And the fact is, as 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 my kid said, but there's no non-binary cats. She loves cats. <laughs> <laughs> no, there isn't. And we must think on that. <laughs> well, we can't ask them, so we don't actually know, Stella. Okay. Yeah. I haven't asked my cat, but I think my cat may be non-binary. Your yeah, cat might be fuming in the corner, saying, "Why don't you respect my pronouns, Sasha?" Probably, probably so. Because I do. If if someone comes over and says, "Oh, your cat's beautiful. What's her name?" I kind of get defensive. I'm like, "It's a boy." Like I oh, do yeah. correct people. So what if my cat? I mean, okay. So before we go into like <laughs> crazy land here with the cat cat genders. Um, I think what's what stands out to me is that I think a lot of people who are adult, well, it may be both children and adults, but specifically adults. I think a lot of adults who call themselves non-binary in another generation would have simply just been gay. Oh, yeah. Gender non-conforming gay people. I mean, oh. look at somebody like Sam Smith. I mean, I, I thought Sam Smith was just a I mean, not that Sam Smith is very gender nonconforming, but there's something about, you know, his, well, their mannerisms or whatever that just to me reads like, you know, if this was like George Michael-esque kind of male person. So I I think there's, there's like new words being used for things that have always been around under different labels. I would have thought that they would have been in different various generations. They would have been the beatnik, there would have been the punk, there would have been the, the new romantic, there would have been the cure head. Do, do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They, they, it's, it's cultural. They, they've, they've leapt into the culture. So in 1989, they'd have been wearing red lipstick, white makeup and that black floppy hair. Do, do you know what I mean? And th- yeah. that this is a cultural kind of, it's a teen, it's a young culture. I shouldn't say teen, but mm-hmm. it feels like a very much a young culture thing as opposed yeah. to anything more than that. But I wish it was more enjoyable. I wish it was more pleasant and fun and enjoyable as opposed to a distressing, heavy, you've got to respect my pronouns. I wish it was just a bit more free. Like light, lighthearted. Yeah, there's a heaviness to it. Well, I mean, I think part of the reason there's a heaviness to it is because for some people, and I think this is, I can't really speak for male people who are non-binary because I haven't really met any in in real time. But for female people who are non-binary, I think that sometimes this stems from a place of trauma. I've met lots of female kids who have had some kind of aversive experience with a boy who was sexually aggressive or something like that, or maybe like a really overbearing boyfriend or something. And then the girl becomes non-binary. And so I think in that way, if non-binary identity is some sort of coping strategy for feeling disempowered or feeling 
less than or feeling like she wants to opt out, that's maybe why there's a heaviness to it for, for some cases, at least. Yeah. What do you think somebody should do if, if a young person in their vicinity, whether they're, you're a parent or a, a, a teacher, what should you do when a child announces a non-binary identity? Do you know what I mean? Because a mm. part of me thinks it's a, it, it could be a very benign exploration that, that yeah. could be very healthy. What's your feeling? Yeah, it's so hard because uh, you're totally right. Like in general, my approach is if you have a young teen and they start kind of experimenting with different identities, uh, if you have a really strong relationship with the kid and you can, in an appropriate manner, help curate their environment and their situation, meaning, you know, if they're on the, the phone 12 hours a day looking at trans TikToks, you know, maybe curtail that. And if if you can help them stay engaged and involved in their hobbies and their activities, whether it's sports or swimming, like in general, those are my kind of big picture order of operations things. Yeah. Um, but I, I think like if you have a really strong relationship with the kid and you have some questions about their identity or some concerns, I think it's okay to talk to them about it. Um, but because you can't really tell like if it's benign or if it's going to lead down a pathway towards, you know, really obsessive rumination or a fixation on medical stuff. It is very tricky. And I, I try not to give concrete advice unless I have a lot of context from the family to help me understand kind of like how all the puzzle pieces fit together. I don't know. I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer, but it's very hard to say because I think if you, if you shut it down too quickly with too much force and you make the kid feel ashamed, that could go very badly. And on the other hand, if you're in a situation where you're trying to have a perfectly egalitarian relationship with your confused 13 year old who doesn't know what maybe what she needs at the time, she can self-destruct in a way too. Right. So like they're kind of opposite ways to handle it depending on the situation based on what I've seen. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good answer. I think it's tricky. I think if you shut it down, you're in really tricky water. And I, I, I kind of don't really recommend you do. I think you need to take notice of the fact that the child is, is hanging out in trans world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that has its own kind of huge concepts are going on and I'm not convinced a lot of these kids who, who speak so polished I'm not convinced mm -hmm. they've really penetrated the issues I, I, I don't think they often have and so mm -hmm. I, I would be very kind of conscious of are they expanding their world or are they narrowing into an identity that's right and are they getting into something that is overwhelming that they don't actually know how to get out of because you know I often will say to parents put yourself in the, sh the shoes of the child if you're 13 and you just went through some sort of a crisis, whether your grandfather died or you lost your whole friend group or you've moved from one city to another, like there, there's something of instability going on. And then you are kind of invited to re-question your whole sense of identity. That is a big burden. And sometimes with the young teens, what they need is for parents to say, oh, honey, I see this is really important to you. I see that you're exploring, but we, we just need to really slow things down because I'm worried about how, you know, unhappy you've been since you started to question these things. Like, like I think sometimes kids get in over their head and they don't actually know what to do. And sometimes parents kind of have to step in. It's, it's like the example of if your kid is starting to hang out with a bunch of peers from school who, you know, are getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Do you just let the kids sort it out or do you say, okay, honey, you know what? I prefer for us to hang out with kids from swimming rather than those kids or whatever. And it's amazing because parents feel very confident in, in acting in that case. But when it's something like non-binary that they feel so disorientated by the words. They're like, what is non-binary? What do I not know? This kid seems to know so much more than me. And so the parents do feel don't feel as confident as they would in other spheres. They know mm -hmm. what they're talking about when they're talking about an unsavory mm -hmm. group of kids. They mm -hmm. do not know this. And so they hang back mm -hmm. generally kind of going, mm -hmm. oh, right, this is something way beyond my sphere. 
And I, I, I think my my kind of rule of thumb would be don't hang back. Go mm-hmm. in, lean into this, find mm-hmm. out about it, learn about it. Don't presume that the kid will tell you everything. Because I find so often kids are, are kind of leading the way and explaining quite patronizingly to the parents, this is the way it is. Mm-hmm. And the parents are taking it. And yeah. I, I think that's, that's, like you said, over egalitarian. I, I think the parent has to guide and therefore has to go about and learn about it so that they're not freaked out by the word non-binary yeah. because it can, yeah. it can feel it can feel intimidatingly weird. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes to my mind is that perhaps parents can offer like a different way to understand non-binary. You know, if you want to talk to your kids, perhaps you say something like, Oh, you know, I think that's really great. Gender non-conforming behavior is um, really freeing. You know, maybe you help them reframe it because the word non-binary is really part of the whole lexicon of gender identity ideas. And if if you feel like the, the concept of gender identity can take a kid down a wrong track, which I think it can. I mean, I think there are times when you know, maybe gender transition is appropriate for some people, but I don't think the theory of gender identity frees up anyone, to be totally honest. Like the more I learn about gender identity, the more I think this is not helpful. So if you have a kid who's going down the gender identity path, maybe you help reframe what non-binary might mean in a different kind of framing, um, different context. And I'd, I'd ask, you know, I'd like to ask the kid, what are some things about being a girl that you don't think fit you? What are some things about being a boy that don't fit you? And, oh, yeah, well, that's just called gender nonconformity, you know, just kind of bring it back down to earth in a way. I also think I agree with you. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you, actually. But I also think that there's an opportunity with non-binary that I, I feel doesn't get taken up enough on. So that if a kid is, let's say, identifying as trans and they say they're a femme boy or that they say they're trans mask or they're something like that or or pure a trans guy. I'm saying that way because it's very often that way, but maybe, you know, the opposite. Um, I, I think there's a real in for parents if they wanted to expand the child's mind and expand the child's self-awareness. I think there's a real opportunity to say, well, are you trans mask? Because I think you might be more non-binary. And that can be a kind of an interesting reflective, expansive conversation that can go back and forth. It doesn't have to be a challenging, oh, my God, this is crap. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I'm trans. Why, why are you such a bigot? It doesn't have to be that head to head. It can be a much more reflective. I think you fit the kind of gender queer or I think you fit gender fluid or more than anything, non-binary. I think parents personally, I think they should use it more as a way Mm -hmm. of reflective that actually the child in front of you is more, frankly, androgynous. Mm -hmm. Therefore, non-binary actually fits more. But the parents don't even want to buy in at all, I would say. They're like, no, I can't even even think of this because I want to just get us out of this umbrella. And I'm like, I honestly think that sidestep will be really helpful for the kid. It's funny you say that because there was a, a, a mother that I had consulted with many years ago who actually started a YouTube channel to give other parents advice on how to lovingly support your kid through gender dysphoria without necessarily affirming. Yeah, it was great. And one of the things that ended up happening for her is, you know, in our consult, I said, look, you know, you have to kind of decide, is your goal to destroy your relationship and talk your kid out of gender or to stay connected and help work through it? as a team, you know, and that's kind of, I think sometimes those are really the choices you have. Sometimes parents think I'm willing to sacrifice the relationship if I can stop them from transitioning. And I'm like, well, that's not, that's a false choice because yeah. they might transition anyway. Right. Yeah. So, so this, what this mother ended up doing is really trying to empathize with her daughter, her female child's distress specifically around her breasts right? And puberty and development. So they worked on, you know, finding alternatives to binders. They ended up kind of going to get fitted for a special minimizing bras that were safer for her body, but helped kind of give the appearance that she wanted. And mom really just tried to partner with her, but set a lot of structure around things like safety. And 
ultimately what happened for that girl, this was at least a couple years back, she stopped identifying as a trans guy and identified as non-binary. And the mom was very comfortable there because she said, you know, at least my kid is not trying to just, you know, destroy her old identity to become this brand new person. She's comfortable in a more fluid way. And I remember, I think in a comment section somewhere, parents were like, but that's not good. She's still non-binary. She's not identifying as a girl. And this mom said, you know what? She's on her own kind of trajectory here. And I'm comfortable with this place for her because she's taking good care of her body and she trusts me and tells me everything. And so they had really found a good way to kind of, I guess, compromise. And I think the mom was very clever in her respect of the child's non-binary identity. Now, I don't think that she was using they, them pronouns for this. So kid, but I think she was, that's what I wanted to ask you. Yeah. I, I think what she, yeah. she said is that, and I really like this framing. She said, you know, we really value honesty and it would feel dishonest if I was calling you they, because in my mind, that's multiple people, but I'm going to do my best not to use she, I'll try to call you honey or snuggle bug or whatever, like the nickname was. So I think, I think it, the parent has to trust their gut on this. You know, there's no formula. And I think if you are compassionate and cooperative with your kid, you can set some structure based on what you think is best for them. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's so interesting that the parent said that about authenticity and the pronouns, because I think pronouns can make people move into inauthenticity. If they start doing a pronoun that their body, their psyche, the parent's psyche is saying, no, this is the wrong Mm -hmm. pronoun and I'm using the wrong pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, That can cause an awful lot of fakery. And when you have fakery in a relationship, I think you're really on in in difficult territory. So I I, I do think while I love and I, I, I applaud their the kind of the the dropout, the no, the the kind of rejection of the binary of the non-binary identity. I really I respond not very well to the they them aspect of yeah. it because it's grammatically incorrect mm-hmm. because it grammatically sits weirdly because it takes a lot of effort. And when you're asking for a lot of effort from somebody else, it feels passive aggressive. Yeah, I I agree, and that's why I think talking in an honest way with kids about you having to feel authentic and trying to compromise. Like you don't want to make it seem like the parents needs are the only needs that exist in the relationship. But I do think it's really important for young people to understand that, you know, when you ask somebody to engage you a certain way, you might be kind of creating a dynamic that feels really unauthentic to the other person. And what's very interesting is that I know young people who are just like the gender stuff is just in the air they breathe. They don't even bat an eyelash about they, them pronouns. They use it with natural fluidity. It's no big deal to them. And I find that really interesting. Um, And they don't understand sometimes why it's so hard for parents. And I get why it's hard for parents because it's not how I I think we, we, we talk biological sex for the most part, especially if somebody has not medically transitioned. So your, your, your instincts, your gut, your, every part of you knows what a person's sex is. So it feels really hard to call a person they. Um, it's very interesting that you said that because you can get linguistically used to anything. You really can. I, I Most things, you know, so I, I think you're right. So I suppose I haven't practiced enough, but I don't really believe in practicing something that doesn't feel right for me because right. integrity matters. So why yeah. would I practice something that's just sitting wrong? Mm-hmm. No, I agree. They would say, well, you're practicing it for kindness. And I'd say, but it's not kind to me because mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's diluting my integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to compromise. I think that's how communication and that's how relationships go. There is a, there is a, there is an implicit demand within my pronouns are they, them, because it's like you, the person in front of me has to make more effort for me. That's right. And that, that doesn't sit well. Yeah. I mean, there's something about the non-binary identity, which it goes beyond like a personal or internal sense of identity, right? Like it, it would be one thing if a person said, 
I don't think of myself as being really male or female. And that's how I'm comfortable understanding my experience. But when it's all about everybody else, like despite the fact, like I'm going to use myself as an example, despite the fact that I'm ostensibly a woman, I need you to help me con- like concretize my sense of identity yeah. as not being a woman by using they, them pronouns and not calling me she and not calling me a woman. So like, I think there's, that's, that goes back to what you said about some people being so timid. It's like, you don't fully believe this. That's why you need other people perhaps to validate it for you. You know, I wonder if there's an element of that for some people. Yeah, it's true. It's Your very, face very true. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was very interesting what you said there. I think you might be right. Um, I, I presume many of our, our, our listeners have followed the case of J- Jamie Shoup, Lisa Shoup. Mm. And um, it's interesting. I, um, am, I, am I right? It's interesting that like it's 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 a male, uh, uh, biological male who has who went to the courts in the first place for the right to be non-binary because it feels like such a testosterone-driven male assertive action. (laughs) Okay, well, I did a little bit of research and you updated me that this person's case has changed. So just for anyone who doesn't know, there was an individual person born James Shoup in 1963. And this person reports that when he was a little boy, he was kind of berated by his mother for being sissy. And he subsequently, as a young adult or a teen, enlisted in the army, I think, or the military, served for decades. Then I think in the the 19 or in 2016, um, was the first legally recognized non-binary person. Prior to that, though, this individual had tried identifying as a transgender woman and tried medicalizing as a trans woman and felt that that didn't fit and also didn't feel like he fit in with men and then went to a non-binary support group or something in the early 2000s, I believe, and felt like, oh, non-binary people, that's where I fit. And what's really interesting is that years, I think like a year or two later, after legally becoming the first recognized non-binary person in Oregon, Jamie Shoup returned to identifying as a man and kind of became uh, very well known, at least in gender critical communities and some right wing media outlets, because Jamie Shoup said that all of this gender identity stuff is BS, essentially. And all of this is ideology. None of it was real. The whole thing was a sham. There's no such thing as non-binary. So this was a very interesting kind of weird twists and turns that this person's life took and I think you you told me, Stella, that this person now re-identifies as a female or Lisa. as a woman, let's yeah, say, right? Lisa. Male person identifying now as Lisa because uh, Lisa was unable to get medical interventions if Lisa did not fit into the category of gender dysphoria. Is that right? I'm, I'm not quite sure. This is literally only a, a day old, as far as I know, as, as news. But yeah, it seems to be that. And I have heard other people who've detransitioned who haven't been able to kind of um, medically or legally access what they need to access because there's a no man's zone. There's a kind mm. of a nobody's zone. And they're in the nobody. It's awful. It's just, yeah. it's just awful and that they have to buy into an ideology to go forward. It feels all wrong. And like if they just said, oh, but I'm a bit trans masked, they could get whatever the hell they wanted. But because they are saying, no, I'm not any of those things. I, I, I just want what I, I need. They can't, they can't get it. The nobody's zone is what I see it as. And I think it's a terrible, terrible indictment on, on the situation. I do want to point out before we finish that, you know, the way we were squawking about the, 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 the rises and the very sudden rises at the beginning of this podcast, you know, in non-binary. And it feels not um, insignificant that Jamie Shoup became the first legally recognized non-binary person in 2016. Mm-hmm. 
and the rises happened. And mm-hmm. that's when you go back to symptom pools, social contagion. It comes in and my God, it just, it's unbelievable when you look at the kind of milestones of famous Jazz Jennings, Caitlyn Jenner, Jamie Shoup, you can just track these identities. Yeah. You really literally can track them on these famous people coming out quite loud. Now, I know James Shoup wasn't loud. I know James Shoup was doing the, their own thing. There was an awful lot of publicity around it at the time. Mm-hmm. It's interesting stuff. It was really fascinating to explore this. I think we have in us another episode about babies. What do you think? Should we do that one of these days? I think they do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Stella. See you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Gender, A Wider Lens. This podcast is partially sponsored by RHYME, Rethink Identity Medicine Ethics. RHYME is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the long-term care for gender-variant individuals. Visit rethinkime.org to learn more. If you found value in our show, please review us on iTunes and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. Just go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash wider lens pod. Our discussions are for educational purposes only and are not intended as a substitute for mental health services. 